Chapter 8 The Paradise Bud A little behind the eastern wall of Kosambi lies a beautiful Singsapa wood, which is, strictly speaking, a sacred grove. In an open glade the temple sanctuary still stood, though in a sadly dilapidated condition. It had been a long time since any sacrificial rite had taken place in this ancient clearing because Krishna, to whom it was dedicated, had had a magnificent and much larger temple built to him inside the town itself. In the ruin, however, there dwelt, along with a pair of owls, a holy woman who enjoyed the reputation of communing with spirits, by whose help she was able to look into the future, and such insight the good soul did not withhold from those who brought her votive offerings. Such people made pilgrimages to her in large numbers. Among them, and particularly after sunset, were young couples who were in love. And there were not a few malicious tongues that asserted that the old woman should have been called more of a fortune-teller-come-matchmaker rather than a saint. However that may have been, this saintliness was just what we needed, and her little temple was chosen as the place for our meeting. Next day, I started with my ox-wagons and took care that it should be at the hour when people were on their way to the bazaar or to the law courts. In doing so, I intentionally chose the most frequented streets so that my departure could not possibly remain hidden from my enemy, Satagira. After only a few hours of travel, however, I halted in a large village and had my caravan go into night quarters there, to the great delight of my people. Shortly before sunset, I mounted a fresh horse and wrapped in the coarse cloth of one of my servants, rode back to Kosambi over the road we had just travelled. Night had fallen, and it was quite dark by the time I reached the Singsapa wood. As I carefully guided my horse between the tree trunks, I was welcomed by the intoxicating fragrance of the blossoms of the night lotus, which rose to greet me from the ancient Krishna pond. Very soon, the crumbling roof of the temple with its swarming images of gods and its jagged and tangled outlines, began to show against the starlit heavens. I was at the appointed place. Scarcely had I swung myself out of the saddle when my friends were at my side. With a cry of rapture, Vasati and I rushed into one another's arms, half beside ourselves with the joy of meeting again. All my recollections now are of caresses, stammered words of endearment, and assurances of love and fidelity which, which absorbed us utterly. I was rudely startled by the unexpected feeling of a wing that softly fanned my cheek as it brushed lightly past. This, together with the hoot of an owl and the jarring clang of a cracked bronze bell, which immediately followed, had the effect of completely rousing me from my love trance. Medini had pulled the old prayer bell, and this had scared the owl from the recess in which she dwelt. And the good-hearted girl had done it not so much to summon the saintly woman as because she saw that that formidable person was already coming out of the sanctuary plainly indignant that she should hear voices within the sacred precincts, although no one had either rung or knocked. Medini informed the ancient woman that her great reputation for holiness and the report of her marvellous knowledge had brought herself and this young man, pointing to Somadatta, to seek her, in order to receive information about what was as yet concealed in the lap of time. The holy woman raised her glance searchingly towards the heavens and gave it as her opinion that, as the Pleiades occupied a particularly favourable position with regard to the pole star, she had good reason to hope that the spirits would not refuse their help, upon which she invited Somadatta and Madini to enter the house of Krishna, the 16,100-fold bridegroom, who delighted in granting to a pair of lovers the inmost wishes of their hearts.
Varsity and I, however, as the supposed attendants, remained outside. How we now assured one another with the most solemn oaths that only the all-destroyer death should be able to part us. Avidly, we spoke of my speedy return as soon as the rainy season was over, and discussed ways and means by which her extremely rich parents should be brought to consent to our union. How all of this was intermingled with innumerable kisses, tears and embraces, I could not now describe to you with even an attempt at the truth, for it abides with me only as the remembrance of a vague dream. Still less can I, if you yourself have not lived through a similar experience, give you any idea of the way in which, in every embrace, sweetest rapture and heart-rending despair clasped each other close. For each embrace reminded us that the last for this time would soon come. And who could give us the assurance that it would not then be the last, the very last for all time? All too soon Somadatta and Medini came forth from the temple. The saintly woman wished to reveal the future to us also now, but Varsity shrank from the thought. How could I bear it, she exclaimed, if a future that portended disaster were to be unveiled? But why just portending disaster, said the well-meaning old woman, whose life experiences presumably as a result of her sanctity had probably been happy ones. Perhaps for the servant also happiness waits, she added, with a look brimming with promise. But Varsity was not to be allured. Sobbing, she clung around my neck. Oh, my love, she cried. I feel the future's inexorable face glaring down upon us. I feel it. I shall never see you again. Although these words caused an icy chill to creep over me, I tried to reason her out of this groundless fear. But simply because it was groundless, my most eloquent words availed little or nothing. The tears rolled in an unbroken stream over her cheeks, and with a look of divine love she caught my hand and pressed it to her breast. Even if we should never see each other again in this world, we shall still remain faithful. And when this short and painful life on earth is ended, we shall find one another again in paradise, and united there, enjoy the bliss of heaven forever. O Carmenita, promise me that. How much more will that raise me up and strengthen me than any words of comfort? For these are as powerless against the inevitable stream of karma already surging towards us as reeds against the waters of a flooding torrent. But sacred, deep-seated resolution is all-powerful and capable of bringing forth new light. If it only depends upon that, beloved Varsity, how could I fail to find you anywhere, I said. But let us hope that it will be in this world also. Here everything is uncertain, and even the moment in which we now speak is not ours, but it will be otherwise in paradise. Varsity, I sighed, is there a paradise? Where does it lie? Where the sun sets, she replied with complete conviction, lies the paradise of infinite light. And for all who have the courage to renounce the worldly and to fix their thoughts upon that place of bliss, there waits a pure birth from the heart of a lotus flower. The first longing for that paradise causes a bud to appear in the holy waters of the crystal pools. Every pure thought, every good deed, causes it to grow and develop, while all unwholesomeness committed in thought, word and deed gnaws like a worm within it and brings it nearer to withering away. Her eyes shone like temple lights as she spoke thus in a voice which sounded like sweetest music. Then she raised her hand and pointed over the dark tops of the Singsapa trees to where the Milky Way, with a soft radiance upon it as of glowing alabaster, lay along the dark purple star-sown field of heaven. Look there, Carmenita, she whispered, the heavenly Ganga. 
Let us swear by its silver waters, which feed the lotus pools of the fields of the blessed, to fix our hearts wholly upon the preparing of an eternal home for our love there. Strangely moved, completely carried out of myself, and agitated to the very depths of my being, I raised my hand to hers, and our hearts thrilled as one at the divine thought that, at that instant, in the endless immensities of space, high above the storm of this earthly existence, a double bud of the life of eternal love had come into being. Varsity sank into my arms as though, with the effort, all her strength was exhausted. Then, having pressed another lingering farewell kiss upon my lips, rested on my breast to all appearance lifeless. I put her softly into Medini's arms, mounted my horse, and rode away without once looking back.